All right, welcome everybody who are here uh, in the church studio and those of you who are at home and those of you who will be watching in the archives. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the mega chapter on the resurrection. And uh, we're going to get into the great stuff now because we've covered all the preface material that Paul touches on all the way up through the past few weeks. Actually, we're in week number 10 or 9 of this chapter. So, uh, but now we're going to start to get into the things he's teaching. So if you haven't been with us before, we begin with a word of prayer. We sing the word of God set to music, but we don't have our, our, um, our projector is being fixed from parts in China. So uh, it won't be up on there. Just sit and listen. And not that you sang anyway. And then uh, after the one song, we sit in silence and reflect upon our relationship with God. And then we come back and we'll get into our verse by verse. So let's pray. <coughs> oh, and just to answer this right off the bat so I don't get emails and junk. Uh, I, I uh, write in an Einstein's every morning. And they have a machine that keeps their bagels keep stopping in the machine that toast them and they catch on fire and the place fills with smoke and I have a lung issue already. So I've just adopted to doing this with it and, and it happens so much that it's just been become useful that I'm just going to leave it around my neck plus the air outside. So it's not really a fashion statement though for some cowboys it might be. All right, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we pause this morning and, uh, recognize your hand in our lives. We recognize your existence and we see manifestations of that everywhere in the beautiful nature that we have surrounding us here in this state and in other places in the world, in the very lives that we have, the breath we take, the functioning of our human bodies. You are the grand designer and grand creator and uh, have put us here and we, uh, by faith, walk uh, with the evidence and hope that we are going to return to you. We're going to go to you after this life. And uh, so we meet to learn more about you and the wonderful gift you gave us in your only human son, Jesus Christ. So we pray that we will uh, be moved by your spirit, not by the ideas of men and man and, and whatever we bring to the table today of our own flesh and background, which I certainly bring at times and is wrong. Please forget that. Help us to forget it and to move forward in truth. That's why we meet. So uh, to try to find the truth. We pray for those who are struggling uh, to get here or to get to any place of worship uh, who seek you. And we just pray now that your spirit will be with us in abundance as we talk about the resurrection after this short time. In Jesus' name, amen. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask and it will be given to you. Receives and eats. 
Okay, so after building a case for the fact that there is uh, a resurrection uh, based on the fact that Jesus was resurrected, and that's how he builds his case. He doesn't say, you got to believe in this resurrection out of nowhere. He says there have been numerous witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. In fact, many are alive today. This is his letter to the church at Corinth. At verse 35, he enters into a description of the resurrection and what it would look like. Now, I emphasize would here for a couple of reasons. When Paul was writing at this time, he was called, of course, the apostle to the Gentiles. And those who converted to the faith would be saved at that last day approaching of Jesus coming which would introduce the resurrection to them. That's how I teach this. Uh, the, the same principles apply to us. If Jesus is coming back in the future, when Jesus comes back, these principles will apply to us then. If he already came back, as I maintain, in 70 AD, which is heavy stuff, but if he did, the resurrection and the principles that Paul teaches started then and continue on now. All right? So prior to Paul and his ministry, Jesus has been resurrected and his resurrection and those who actually rose from the grave thereafter, there in Jerusalem, um, they experienced a physical resurrection from the grave. And that resurrection uh, is how the majority of Christianity views it, that that resurrection of Jesus and those in Jerusalem, the few who rose from the grave then, that applies to the rest of us and will forevermore. And so the standard you get from most uh, of Christianity or any, uh, any group that has broken off of Christianity pretty much is my grandpa died uh, 20 years ago. He's buried in Panguitch. And he is going to come up out of that grave and be resurrected because that's what happened to Jesus. Okay? Remember when Jesus appeared to the 11 in the upper room and they were afraid. They thought they were seeing a ghost, right? And he had, he had appeared to them and it says in Luke 24, 39, he says, Behold, my hands, my feet that it is I myself, handle me and see me, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. So 
As he stated, we know that there were many, as stated, who rose with him thereafter. These appearances of these resurrected beings cause us, again, reiterating, to see it as physical and out of the literal grave. Um, And we're going to inhabit those bodies for eternity. I am suggesting so strongly here, this is one of the most important teachings that we have, have ever done, that what Paul is teaching here, that that is not the case any longer. And even though it was the case for our Lord and for those few at that time, why was it a literal resurrection from the grave for him and those few then? And then why would it change? I mean, this is just preposterous, some would say, that it would even change, right? I can't answer the second question of why it would change, but it does change, and that is proven by our text today, which you can't get around. And we know that Paul's very words contradict the standard view that we have that Grandpa is going to rise from the grave someday down in Panguitch, and we're going to see him. He's going to sit up perhaps maybe even in the suit he was buried in. I don't know. As to the question of why would Jesus and others at the time of his resurrection be resurrected with their body, uh, I think that we we have some suggestions as to why this would be. And what first and foremost, I think it's the only way to prove that he rose from the grave. You know, Uh, if he came, if he died, laid for three days and then showed up in a body that was heavenly, people would even more so thought that they had seen a ghost. They wouldn't believe, perhaps, that he rose from the grave. And so they wouldn't think he overcame death and sin and and the confines of the grave that everybody else had succumbed to before him. So it it was only this way that people would recognize him and or them uh, that he rose from the grave. Had Jesus risen with a glorified heavenly body that we will all receive and that Paul describes now, um, I don't think that there would be the claim of a resurrected being. Even when he showed up to the 11, they thought they were seeing a ghost. And he had to tell them, look, look, just hold on. Touch up. Uh, 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 a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. So he's trying to tell them, I am the one. But even then they thought if he had come in his glorified form, it would have just been this heavenly apparition, no different than Moses and Elijah showing up on the Mount of Transfiguration. So in other words, when he returned to earth to take his bride at the second coming, or if he's going to do that in the future, he is going to come then with that heavenly body. That is going to be when we, uh, when they saw or we would see that resurrected body that he has. And prior to that, there was only uncertainty as to what the resurrected heavenly body would look like. For this reason, John says, who was a witness to Jesus in that upper room, he says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. It does not yet appear what we shall be. John said that. So he had seen Jesus in the upper room. I don't think he would write that. I think he'd say, it appeared what we shall be when we saw Christ. 
But here he says, it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. And he adds, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we will see him as he is. John wrote that about the Lord. John doesn't say, brethren, uh, we know we're the sons of God and we know what we'll be like. I'm going to rise out of the grave just like with this body, just like the Book of Mormon teaches. And every hair in my head will be a perfect place and all that stuff. He doesn't say that. He goes, we don't know what we're going to be, but we know what we will be when he returns and we'll see him. Right there, we automatically have something to say. Hmm, that's interesting, right? But this view is too much for most believers who want to believe for some reason that the, this, this body that we have, you know, um, will be the one that we come out of the grave with. And so the idea that our resurrection is just like his perpetuates and it continues on and on and on with people. At, and it's one of the contributing factors of the resurrection being so misunderstood by most people in the faith. So, and that's fine. I mean, if Christians want to be uh, convinced that they're going to get this same body that was laid down, but maybe more perfected and without disease and, and wrinkles and, you know, all the postulations that go on, and we've talked about those, they're humorous, you know. I'm not going to have my, uh, my extra tire around my waist, and, and, and I'll have a full head of hair, and I won't have any blemishes, and my teeth will be perfectly white, and... You know, all these ideas we come up with of the, of the physical body, uh, I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised. I think they're going to be really rejoicing over what God actually gives them. Uh, so now, from the onset, we will all receive a body. Understand that. It, that's clear. So I'm not suggesting that we are spirits, just spirits. Uh, not in the least. But what I am maintaining is the body we will receive is heavenly, and therefore not of the earth, and therefore not material, and therefore not the bodies we used while we were here on earth. I think that is night and day. I also think that the bodies we used on earth are completely different than the bodies we will receive hereafter. How? Can't tell you. But they will be markedly different and Paul will prove that to us in just a minute. So because of this, I maintain that our resurrection is going to be very different and that everybody's resurrection was very different except for those few who rose with him shortly after he rose in Jerusalem. And, um, and so let's see if Paul supports this view. I just laid out kind of a bombshell for people if you're just tuning into this. So let's see what Paul says, all right? 1 Corinthians 15, 35, and we're going to read through verse 44. We read it as a preface last week. I'm going to read it again. But some men, remember people have been arguing for a resurrection, but some men will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? You fool! That which thou sowest is not quickened unless it dies. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as it has pleased him and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of fishes, and another of birds. There are celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. 
but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of terrestrial is another. There is a glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. Okay, go back to verse 35 with me. Remember, there is a group that was denying resurrection, and he now says, but some men will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Now, I say that kind of in a sarcastic tone for a reason. When he says some men will say, he seems to be describing those who were denying a resurrection, whether they're believers in Christ or not, we aren't sure. I'm of the opinion that because the idea of resurrection was so foolish to Greeks, they just laughed at the idea of a resurrection. And it was renounced by the Sadducees, the Jews, that some men that Paul addresses are these specifically. Again, they were the naysayers. It was such foolishness for them to believe that physical bodies that had been hacked to pieces in wars, remember, these guys had access to viewing physical bodies. We don't have much access to seeing dead bodies in our world. I mean, you might in a third world country, but here in the U.S., I mean, it's kind of a shock to see a dead body, right? So they had seen badly made sepulchers cracked open by earthquakes and stuff and bodies that had been in there for a thousand years. They had, they had seen friends drown at sea and be eaten by fishes. They knew what happens to a dead body, right? And so Paul appears to be stepping right in here and he has established the fact that there is a resurrection, okay? Uh, speaking directly to their method of mocking it, he says, uh, there are some who ask, and, I, and I'm suggesting he's sarcastic in this. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna impute this to the, to the text. Well, how are the dead raised up? <laughs> You know, and with what body do they come? <laughs> right? I think that's kind of how he's opening this up. He's addressing them directly. And um, he's about to explain to us the answer to those two questions. Uh, how are they raised up? And with what body do they come? Okay? So the, the, the Greeks were probably saying, and I'm, again, I'm making this up. Okay, okay, Christians. Your Lord and Savior rose after three days. Whoa. Okay, wow. But you're telling us that everybody now is going to be resurrected? We know what happens to bodies. You're telling us that I, we get three days and someone coming up out of the grave. Yeah, he still had the wounds and that's the witnesses. All right, fine, fine, fine. But based on that, you're trying to tell us that people who have died backward and forward are all going to come up out of those same graves? What body do they come with? How is that going to happen? Tell us, you know. And how are they raised up? Okay. Um, so, I submit that to these objections and these criticisms, Paul now speaks. Now, to Christians today and to believers today, the response to those questions is, God can do anything. 
right? What about all the people who have drowned at sea and have been eaten by the fish and then run through the fish's system and then that stuff is gathered up and used as fertilizer for flowers on coastal towns in the gardens of coastal towns and then those flowers grow up and are harvested and make it into a lady's kitchen you know how what, what's going to happen and the christian response is god will do everything he's going to take i've heard this i was taught this he's going to take all those particles and bring them all back together and form them into that physical body that died and um paul could have said that here they asked the question how are they raised up and he could have said God can do anything, you fools. He could have said he's going to pull all those, those pieces from everywhere and bring them together back into a body because that's what people say. And it's the most ridiculous thing because it's not biblical. It's not scriptural. What we are studying right now is biblical. This is, what Paul, this is how Paul answers those questions. There's none of the magical thinking that God's going to do that. He addresses it in a very concise way. It's a scholarly presentation, right? So he's opened up the conversation. Some men say, how are the dead raised up? And what body do they come? And listen to how the Lord's apostle responds. You fool. That's how he responds to that question that he just made, uh, that he recited. You fool. In Matthew 5, 22, um, Jesus said, Whoever says racket will be in danger of the council, and whoever says thou fool is in danger of hellfire. And we have one of his apostles actually writing, you fool, at least in the King James. Both fool in both places. Um, is that bad? What's happening? Well, if you go to the Greek, Jesus says anyone who uses moros, that's the Greek for the fool, that's translated fool there. And that means moron. <laughs> It's like a personal uh, uh, invective. It's a personal affront to somebody. You moron, right? And, and we've been guilty of calling names like that. And Jesus says, if you do that, you're in danger of hellfire, right? But the word Paul uses is completely different. It's aphron in the Greek. And that word means uninformed, wholly misled. Now, you might think they mean the same thing, but there's a very big difference if you say to somebody, you're a moron, uh, or you're really misled on this. You get the difference? And so Paul wasn't using fool in the way that Jesus says you're going to be in danger of hellfire, just to clear that little uh, matter up. Nevertheless, he does directly tell them you are lacking information greatly, right? What questions were they asking about the resurrection? How are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? And Paul right here in the next 14 verses, he gives a direct teaching to their resurrection to come and what it will look like for them and for us. It's in scripture, this is what it will look like. Uninformed, misled questioners, Paul says, and he gives the first thing, ready? That which thou sowest is not quickened unless it dies. First principle. That which is sown is not made alive unless it dies. First principle of the resurrection. What you sow does not come to life unless it is first put to death. This was an agrarian culture. 
They understood farming and agriculture for the most part. And so Paul immediately pulls from things they're going to understand in his teaching. And he pulls from this aggressive world of farming. And uh, in order to show the process by which the resurrection of man comes. And his point seems to be the seeds you plant in the ground will not produce new life or a new body unless the seed dies first. First thing. Of course, the parallel is to the human body. And Paul seems to be saying, until this human body that we all have dies and is buried in the ground or is buried in the ground and dies, that's not the normal order of things, there's no possibility of a new plant. So we already have an image in our head. One thing is planted and dies, and that has to happen before the new plant can come. Automatically, folks, automatically, look at the analogy relative to the resurrection. What does a farmer sow in the ground? A seed, round, oblong, usually dry, very ugly. Seeds usually aren't typically beautiful unless it's like a sunflower seed or something. But a lot of seeds are really very, very, very different from what you ultimately get afterward. Zero resemblance of the seed to the plant in many cases, if not most. The mustard seed, remember the least of seeds, what it grows into? Okay, do you see this? This is a comparison he makes right off the bat. When Jesus walked the earth, he made a mention that was of it being necessary for him to die. And he said, the hour has come that the Son of Man be glorified. This is in John chapter 12, verses 23 through 24. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a seed of wheat falls into the ground and dies... It abides alone, but if it dies, it brings forth much fruit, showing the necessity of death in it to bring forth fruit. So thus far, we know that the first or main body of a grain dies, decays, so that it can become the food and nourishment, the germ, uh, which produces an entirely different plant. You already see that? An entirely different plant. Different looking. The seed is hard and brown and small and of one shape, but once planted, dead, died, buried, it produces a green, tall, slender, whatever the plant looks like. It's something that's alive. It's something that has leaves and a stalk. It is something very different from what was planted. First principle of resurrection here. So having established this idea, Paul adds more. Verse 37. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain, it may of chance be of wheat or some other grain. Better put, Paul says, But that which you plant and dies, is buried, is not the body that will be, but instead is a seed, perhaps of a wheat or some other grain. Automatically, again, next verse we've just touched on, we're being told something here that is contrary to what most people believe. 
Yet it is so clear. Isn't it an interesting fact when you think about it that when it comes to planting, for instance, corn, that the corn kernel is not the corn plant. We don't take stalks of corn and dig big long trenches and bury them in order to get more. We take the seed that doesn't look anything like what it will become, we bury it, it dies, and it becomes something entirely new. You could not say looking at that seed and then looking at the final product that they were the same at all, but we do in the resurrection. We say that it's going to be the same. Now, I think there's gonna be a way to identify with spiritual eyes and hearts. And I think we will know each other as individuated uh, uh, glorified beings in a, in a heavenly body, certainly. But try to erase from your idea that the seed that was planted sprouts up another replicated seed. That is not what Paul teaches in the first two principles. So Paul clearly maintains here and the differences in what will be in the human resurrection to what was buried are vastly different in this first analogy that he gives us. They're, they're, they're going to be different. They said, how will this happen? And he says, okay, that you die. And then that's the only way this new thing comes forward. This is the first thing he gives us. I don't know how clear or more reasonable this could be, but he doesn't stop there. But already it's just so clear. It's so easy to see, right? Now, what was buried with Jesus in the tomb and came out of the tomb was the exact same thing. And so that contradicts what Paul is teaching here. He says what's buried, it's not that body that's buried that comes up. And yet we use his resurrection as the thing to give us the model. It's not right. His resurrection was purposeful. Besides, he had to show, he had to show right? Okay. In the least, in the least at this point, we have a vast difference in appearance between what is buried and dies and what rises. But that which you plant is not the body of what will be, but instead is a seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. So what will determine the kind of body our buried grain will produce? Mike Jones, one of our brothers last week, this is made up, passed away. We just buried him near Panguitch. I'm just putting everybody who dies in Panguitch today. And what's going to determine what kind of plant's going to arise from that body that we buried for Mike? You know? Is it, a, is it systematic like agriculture? The body of a, of a human that is buried produces a, a kind of resurrected body that will be associated with humans only? I would have to say to some extent, yeah, that's the case, but with some variation based on what? Listen to what Paul says in verse 38 now. He takes us another step. But God giveth it a body as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. God giveth it a body as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Now, he's probably talking about the, the corn kernel here, okay? Herein we're met with another fact, though, because the subject is resurrection. God is the one who gives the seed that is sown in its death the body to come. He's the one who decides what will sprout out of Mike 
who we buried a couple days ago. He will decide what he rises to and will look like and the eternal body that he will possess from that time forward. You get it? And so uh, that formation is given by God alone, for God will give it. So let's step back to the analogy. A farmer plants 10 kernels of corn. He waters them. He waits. Waits for what? He waits for God to do what God does with those 10 kernels of corn. He has no power to get in under that soil and coach and train and do anything with it. He can prepare everything, which is, which is analogous to what we're doing here as Christians. We're preparing ourselves for this resurrection. So the farmer can prepare what's going on with the seed, but in terms of what that seed will be, that's up to God. And that's why, you know, agrarian uh, men and women are, are typically far closer to God because they re- and fishermen and things rely so much on God's providence to, to make them successful. So he waits for the kernel to die, germinate, and produce a corn stalk. And that corn stalk shape and condition is granted by God. So it's God who gives the corn stalk its dimensions, its health, its growth, its glory. Some stalks are tall and powerful and bear a lot of fruit, and others are diminutive, perhaps diseased, small in leaf, don't bear fruit. That's up to God. The farmer can't change the status, neither can the seed change itself, the growth of the, and the, the status of the future bodies in the hands of our Creator. Now, and so it is with the resurrection of man. You know, we don't have a lockstep process built into this. Sean died. It was Sean's body and he was resurrected and it's Sean's body. Mike died and it's Mike's body and he was resurrected and it's Mike's body. It's God who giveth it a body as it pleases him. That's what he says relative to the resurrection. So here's another point against the idea that what is buried is what rises back up. It's another point. It's clear. What is buried is a seed. What rises back up is a brand new plant. And it's God who decides what that plant will look like. So it is with the resurrection of man. In this case, Paul uses the term body in reference to the plant that would come from the seed. And he seems to be speaking of the full spectrum. The roots, the stalk, the blade, the ears, the the pesky corn thread things that you can't get rid of. The, the cob itself, all of that seems to be the body he's talking about that would be in the resurrection. And all determined by God through various means, which he would give to every person, by the way. We know that from our study. Every person gets one of these bodies. Jesus said some to eternal life and some to damnation. What that means, we don't know. But we know that God will give these resurrected bodies some to eternal life and some to damnation, but everyone's going to get one. It would all be predicated on God, and Paul adds, as it has pleased him, okay? So as he chooses by his arrangement and agency in the raising of plants from kernels that have died, God also in the resurrection of people, according to his pleasure, grants us the body we will inhabit for the eternities. Paul adds to this, and to every seed his own body. Remember, he's teaching on the resurrection of dead humans, And this is the point of everything that he says here. It's all applied to the resurrection of dead humans. So apparently the seeds uh, that are human on earth will correlate to the resurrected body that it gets in heaven. It will be human of whatever sort that is. 
A dog seed will not get the body of a cat. Uh, a human, uh, a female uh, human being will not get the resurrected body of an owl. Species to species, that's why he says to every seed, his own body, according as God pleased. Remember, Paul suggested some of the questions some men would ask was, and how are the dead raised up? And the second one is, and with what body do they come? And this response here seems to be answering that second question. And with what body do they come? Having said, said to every seed its own body, Paul now, in my opinion, begins to now describe those bodies that will be given by God in the resurrection. So he's taken us from a, a kind of a macro look and he's bringing us down slower and sl uh, closer and closer to a micro look at the actual elements of resurrection. I don't think that he's speaking to species differentiation here as he continues to talk. You could interpret it that way. You could be right. I could be wrong, but I personally think that now having laid these things out, he's now gonna start to narrow down specifically human resurrection, all right? Um, so let me think. And I also maintain that he begins to describe again what the resurrection of man will be like saying, verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh. This is just a clarification he makes. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of fishes, another flesh of birds. That relates to what he said back here when he said, and to every seed his own body. And, 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 and he adds, all flesh is not the same flesh, okay? So I think he's just reiterating, don't think that we're gonna come up as, you know, uh, cocoons, uh, raccoons, okay? He's just clarifying that in the teaching. I think we need to be cautious not to take the fact that Paul uses different fleshes here to describe the resurrection and assume that it is fleshly. He's gonna prove that absolutely untrue in just a second. It's not fleshly. He's just showing that the species with which you die in will be the species with which you're raised in. He's merely using these fleshes as an example. In verse 39, Paul brings a comparison to various earthly bodies in a broad sense. Fish, birds, humans, they're all different fleshes, okay? Then he brings in another category now and narrows it a little bit more. Speaking of the resurrection, verse 40, there are also celestial bodies. Don't think of bodybuilders and, and, and women who have great figures here. That is not what he's doing. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Again, talking about resurrection of man, Paul first talked about different uh, flesh and he says the species will remain to species. And then he has introduced the fact that there are different bodies within those species on earth. Now he takes it and he says, there are celestial bodies and there are terrestrial bodies. Now, stepping back into LDS Mormon rhetoric, which I came from and many of you have come from, it uses these words to describe kingdoms. 
the celestial and terrestrial and telestial, by the way. Note that there is no such thing as a telestial. That was a, a, a fabrication or a confabulation of Joseph Smith's mind to make three kingdoms. He used two out of the Bible, added a third to give him validity of his thought about these being kingdoms. But Paul is actually, he is not in any way suggesting that these bodies exist in celestial kingdoms or terrestrial or telestial. Uh, terrestrial means terra firma. It means earth. Celestial to a Jew means heaven. All he is saying here is celestial refers to heavenly bodies, things in the cosmos, in the heavens, and uh, terrestrial refers to bodies that are on terra firma. That's it, period. Don't let those other imaginative things confuse you. He's talking about what exists there and what exists here. He adds that the glory of the celestial is one, is it not? When you look at a night sky, is not the glory of the celestial different when you look at the people standing next to you holding punch in their hand and eating cookies? Very different glories when we look at what's in the heavens versus what's on earth. And so he says the glory of the celestial is one and the glory to be found in bodies terrestrial is another. That's all he's making. Difference between the bodies that are in heaven, difference between the bodies that are in earth. Another point to remember when people say the resurrection is you just come out of that grave. Another point that he makes. There are bodies that are heavenly and there are bodies that are earthly, right? Major difference. So that's another fact. Then turning his focus to the heavenly. You see, he's narrowed it now. Talked about all animals on earth. Then he talked about celestial and and uh, terrestrial and now he's focusing only on the uh, celestial bodies because he's talking about the resurrection. He says, there is one glory of the sun. There's another glory of the moon. There's another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another in glory. Talking about what is in heaven, okay? Obviously, when Paul speaks of the sun, the moon, and the stars, his focus is now cutting out the earthly. He's already addressed all that. And he's focused on what the heavenly bodies are like. And he brings in the fact that when we look at the heavenly uh, celestial glories, they're different. Some things shine really bright and others are really dim. And from our perspective, they have different glories. And so he's, he's bringing this into the resurrection. He, uh, he goes so far from a kernel of wheat to uh, producing an entirely new plant to animals and, and, and other creations and the types of bodies they have. Then he goes to celestial and terra firma bodies. And now he's focusing clearly on celestial and he notes the difference in categories of glory between the sun, the moon, and the stars. Uh, thus far, he has explained six factors. I wrote, I'm not gonna write them on the board. I put one two, through six up there. I'm not gonna do that, Dave. I'll get to the board toward the end. What you sow in the resurrection does not come unless this body dies first. That's the first thing he says. That which is planted, this body, is not what will be. That's the second thing he he says. Third, God will give the seed a body as it pleases him. To every seed, God will give its own body relative to the species that it's in. Just there are many types of flesh on earth. Every flesh will receive its type of resurrection in the resurrection of man. I don't know about the animals. He's not, he's not, that's not brought up here. He just mentions the different species, but he's talking about the resurrection of man. 
And then regarding these heavenly bodies that we will receive by God as it pleases him, once we have died and we have been raised, they will be of different glories. There will be a glory that is in the sun. There will be a glory that is like the moon. There are glories like the stars. So when uh, in Mormonism, Smith talked about these glories and sun, moons, and stars, he wasn't off. Not off at all. I mean, that's what Paul says right here. And you got to believe that, right? That's what he's saying. They possess, these resurrected bodies, different glories. Hang on. This is rarely addressed, folks. It's rarely talked about. I've been in the faith, you know, as a Mormon, and then I've been in the faith as a Christian now since 97. It's now 2009, 22 years. And I haven't just been in it. I have been listening, watching, and reading constantly. You rarely hear this talked about. Um, that these resurrections that we're going to receive are going to be different uh, in glory. And that for this reason, people don't mention that Paul wrote in a place that he hopes to attain to the resurrection. That's in 2 Corinthians. He hopes to, and he wasn't talking about just being resurrected. He was hoping to attain to that glory resurrection that's available. He talks about that. It's why the writer of Hebrews in, in chapter 11 talks about those women who suffered hoping to attain a better resurrection. See, the better resurrection is not talked about in the faith. No, 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 no. We don't know what it means. We don't know how it will look. Presuppositions or suppositions about it are stupid. I could stand up here and come up with all sorts of things about what it could possibly look like. Others have not been so reticent and have suggested that the most glorious will have seed forever. You've heard that one? That is a, a, a supposition that one man created, Joseph Smith, and said, your body will be able to procreate forever. That's the glor most glorious thing you can get. He took this idea and he said, I'm going to tell you specifically what it will be like. And he created a whole foundation off that. Well, it's not true. There's nothing true about it biblically, so we can't say it. Can't say either way, but what we can definitively say, because the Paul definitively says it, is that in the resurrection, the resurrected bodies will differ from terrestrial bodies and they will differ from each other in glory. That's why Paul says there is one glory of the sun. The sun is one degree of splendor. The moon has another and so are the stars. So again, just to be clear, in verse 40, Paul says that there's a difference between the different classes of bodies, between those in heaven and those on earth. And here he says in the former class that the heavenly bodies themselves, there's also a difference. How often do you hear it? It's the most important uh, message for a Christian to hear who's been saved. It's perhaps the most important thing to understand. You see, because in other words, though, all will be unlike what they were on earth, made plainly clear, he is later going to explain um, how unlikely, unlike the earthly bodies they are, that all in the celestial realms will be glorious. They will all be glorious, we can admit that, but they are of different glories. And he says at verse 42, the coup de grace, so also is the resurrection of the dead. If you think I'm making it up, if you think I'm just suggesting that's what Paul's saying, he adds, so also, having spoken of the different glories, is the resurrection of the dead. You want to know what the resurrection's like? 
There's going to be differences, folks. There's going to be differences. The dead will be raised analogously to the things I have provided here, he says. You want to know how they come? I've just told you. In the way a seed is sown, buried, dies, brings forth an altogether different plant in differences between earthly bodies and heavenly and in differences of glory between the planets that are in the stars, so also is the resurrection. Already we have learned more about the resurrection of the dead than I have ever heard plainly from the mouth of somebody. It's not me teaching it. It's Paul teaching it. It's right there. What I hear from Christians is I've been saved. I've been born again. Why? I'm not going to go to hell forever. I'm going to enter heaven. And that's the message. That's what the Christians gather together in churches for to talk about. Let's look back over our shoulder. Let's put our hand to the plow. Let's look back and see that we were saved, that we have been born again, and that we're not going to go to hell. Yippee! Let's just talk about it forever. Let's not do anything about it relative to spiritual growth, to maturity, to loving. Let's just focus on that. That's all we want to talk about. It is one of the biggest injustices done in the body today. Now, uh, believe me, don't get around the fact that people need to know the good news. And they need to know that Jesus is there and they can be saved and they can know God in a relationship. Believe me. My, I, I am so grateful for that. And you can't have the glorious resurrection without it. So don't, let's not get around that either. But by golly, Paul is clear. The writer of Hebrews is clear. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Damn it, once you have experienced it, now realize there's a reason for it. He didn't just save you because that's the whole point. He wants to bring you forward in a lot of very wonderful, great ways. As it pleases him, he wants to bless you with a glorious resurrected body. Okay, it's not earned. You don't earn it in the sense of working for it. We'll talk about that later, so don't get that mixed up. We're not gonna put you back in shackles and chains of religion so that you can hope you're going to get this special sun body instead of a star body. But the point is, there's something more that is far more eternal than just the fact that we've been saved from hell. There is more Paul is talking about when it comes to the resurrection. The good news is great news, but it's limited news. It has much more to come. And fails to address the meaningful and important piece of information that is constantly overlooked there is a resurrection waiting that will be awarded by God to every single person and will be eternally born. And the resurrections will differ one from another. Because I'm convinced in Scripture that hell's been beaten and overcome and that God has reconciled the world to himself through the victorious work of Christ, I'm frequently maligned. But I malign the, the churches right back, right back in their face for not teaching this because this has eternal ramifications. I can't tell you how many people who have had the Jesus experience and remain unprogressed in their faith and love and hope because just because they've been saved and they think that's the end all. You know, there is something we are expecting after we take our last breath. 
by the hand of God. Paul's describing that. To me, the lack of instruction on resurrection is unconscionable in the body and does such a disservice to millions who attend church regularly and have no idea that this is even theological. So after admitting that the resurrection is just like the examples he has given, so is the resurrection of the dead, Paul returns to the resurrection itself and delivers a series of short phrases to assist us in our understanding of it, okay? He's already given us, you know, six, seven fantastic things to, to ponder on. But now he says, ready? I'll write these on the board, Dave. Uh, he says, it is sown... in corruption. And he says, this is King James, and it is raised in incorruption. So we can say that definitively about it. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in, uh, no, not honor. It is raised in power. Whoa. What's that about? It is sown, oh, excuse me, it's you guys aren't correcting me. Oh, you're not following along. It's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown in, oh, oh and then he says, there is a natural body. I'm going to put seed here, by the way, to keep congruent. And there is a spiritual body. And I'm going to put plant here. Okay. This seed is sown. It doesn't look anything like the plant to come. This is the origination. And he talks about these four categories of what the body is and then what it will look like afterward through the resurrection, the resurrected body that God gives us. <laughs> um, really quickly, it's sown in corruption. Human body, like the seed that's planted for a corn stalk, is sown in death. It has to die, and its death is, in its death, it experiences rot, decay, and corruption. That's what the natural body does, right? It's planted in death, and he adds, it is raised in incorruption, non-death. It's not going to rot. It's not going to corrupt. It's not going to be broken or diseased. It is going to be raised without that possibility for those deleterious things. It is raised in incorruption. On this, we have the hope. What that means, what it looks like, what it will, and how it could be interpreted in terms of use later, no idea. Got to go to guys like Smith and, to find that out. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. So on account of sin, on account of disease and decay, the body itself, tattoos people get, whatever, it's sown in dishonor. But it is raised, Paul says, he doesn't say dishonor. He says it's raised in glory, in beauty, a body far removed from the curse. It's stripped of its vileness, right? And resurrected, it will be praised uh, as in the uh, definition of the word for glory here. You know what the word there in Greek is? Doxa. From that we get doxology, which we praise. And so we'll be praising God for the body he gives us. It will be raised in glory. It will be something that we say, God, I praise you for this because it's a doxa. It's something that we are praising him for what he's given us. 
at all these different levels. I mean, even if you're resurrected from the dead to uh, damnation, as Jesus said to them then, whatever that means, it is a resurrection. It's not going to have, apparently, uh, 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 the pains that our bodies have. It's not going to have the corruptness that our bodies have. It will have some sort of glory to it, apparently. Could be wrong on that. So the former body that we have, we have no honor. Some people think they do, but uh, raised in glory. Then it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Our fleshly bodies were feeble, but he says we're raised in dunamis. That is the Greek, that, that word for power. It's really an interesting concept. You can, we can go off and, and make all kinds of myths up about it. We don't know what it means. But listen to this, what Paul says in Philippians 3.21. Talking about God through Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. That's not the body he brought out of the grave. Remember what John said. We haven't seen what he looks like. When, when he comes, we'll see what he is and we'll know that we'll be like him, Right? We will change into his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So if we're going to be like him and he's able to subdue all things like unto himself, maybe that's where this power comes in. Maybe these bodies will not be subject to any sort of temptation whatsoever. Maybe we, we will have overcome all material failure types of uh, seduction. Uh, remember, uh, Paul says in Romans that we are joint heirs with Christ. If he was raised with a glorious body that could subdue all things to himself and we're joint heirs, apparently that is what will be given to us as well. In the least, it seems that we can use Paul's term of dunamis to offset the fact that the one that's buried is weak. And finally, Paul adds the last clarification, and it's an important one. In fact, it's so important, we're going to open up next week with it and end today. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. We know there's a body, but it is not natural. There is a natural body, Paul says, and there is a spiritual body. We will talk about those uh, clarifications next week. Comments, questions, please wait for the microphone and state your first name. All right, Brother Dan. Thank you. As a side note, I just wanted to mention <clears throat> that uh, when Joseph Smith was introduced to masonry and he quickly moved up the ranks, first degree, second degree, third degree, all that started to resonate in him about these levels of qualification when he read the new testament and in these verses that we just covered today they're referred to as glories but in the 76, 76th section of the doctrine and covenants where he outlines the the degrees he calls them degrees instead of glories mm. and so how interesting and what's interesting is that those three degrees are headed by the three members of his godhead Father is over the heavenly fathers over the celestial, Jesus Christ over the terrestrial, and and the Holy Ghost over the telestial. So that's kind of how he broke it down to make it more wow. uh, Mormony, I guess. Fascinating insight. And Danny, degrees is borrowing directly from masonry, right? Right. 
Really interesting, you guys. All right, next. Oh, and Dan, the Dan and Dan. No, is there a Daniel that will speak out? A Daniel. Uh, this is a fantastic. This is amazing news. Praise God. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've heard that before, but uh, it made me think that really. So our contribution. Well, I'm sure you're going to get into this, but um, later. But we. It talks about the seed that you sow. So really all we're contributing to is that seed. And we don't know that the transformation is going to be amazing, but it, it, I think there's some proportion. I mean, it'll be proportional to what we have sown somehow. In all probability to the faith and love, I would suggest. Okay. Um, we'll get to that, I, but it yeah. all, it's not going to be to the physical. No, 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 of course not. No, right. working out at the gym, yeah. whatever, you know. Or doesn't. building empires. Well, or, yeah. And you think about it, so things like working out at the gym, um, you're, the, whatever you develop there doesn't pass on to your no. kids, right? No. Yeah, you don't pass that on through your seed. That's yeah. just a temporary thing. But, yeah, faith and And what life. did Paul say about the bodily exercise? It profits said, little. Profits little. Yeah. He's talking long term here. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's a beautiful thing. It's amazing. Yeah, so am I. Anybody else? All right, let's pray. Get out of Dodge, go out and be Christians. Anybody on the list? No. Lord, we, uh, we wrap today up. You know, the stuff I say is wrong, please forgive. The stuff that we walk in here uh, clinging to and just must have as certainty, if it's, if it's not in accordance with your spirit and your word, let us forget it. We want to understand these things, and that's why we gather and study like this. But most importantly, we want to walk out of here better Christians, better equipped to, uh, like Dan was mentioning, to have this faith and this love and, and by this, you'll know us and, and others will know us. You'll know us, you'll know our hearts and, and, and our minds and our spirit and our souls. And we know that that is going to come to you and you're going to dress it uh, with this resurrected body. And so we pray that we'll be a people of faith and that we'll be a people who love and uh, we'll be able to prioritize the walk that we have and, and the lives you have given us. Yes, this is a gift, this life, and we do have things to do in it. And we do have things that we can enjoy in it. All the wonderful places to travel and the food and the, and the, and the things to get our involved in and animals and family and occupations. And all these things are wonderful gifts, Lord, that you bestowed upon us. Uh, but we know that your kingdom's not of this world. And uh, we don't want to place our priorities on such things. We want to have that eternal view. We want to look at what's coming. Place our bet on the, on the thing that's going to have the biggest payoff. Lord, and that is life with you because of your dear son. So we worship you and him in spirit and in truth, and we seek to know you better. Help us to walk out of here, not religions, religionists, but as Christians, to be Christ to our neighbor and our family and our enemies, and learn to do this by your spirit, not by compulsion, not by guilt and shame, but just through your spirit, that humility and that uh, contrite heart. That's the goal. Lord, that's the goal. And uh, so we pray you'll bestow that upon us spiritually as we exit here. We pray for those who are suffering, uh, who are part of our midst in so many different ways. And um, we pray for uh, the state that it will catch on fire. 
we see the foundation of a, of a religious empire uh, founded here uh, is crumbling. And those people who are leaving that need a place to go, they're, they're stumbling out of that church and, and they're being gobbled up by the fowls of the air, just like the seed cast on wayside soil. And we pray that you can use us to grab some of them up that you place in our way and, and share the great news of Jesus crucified and uh, to help them understand that there is a plan of salvation. There is something for them. It's not just going to a cloud and, and sitting on a harp. It is something that you have designed. And it's here in Scripture described for us in at least partially what awaits. So help us to leave with that, Lord, in spirit and peace. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, no.